Hello, listeners, and welcome to Thoughts from a Page podcast and Top Shelf at Merrick Library podcast for another special episode with your two favorite hosts, Cindy Burnett and me, Carol Antak. We're joining forces to bring you our interview with author Kathleen West for her latest book, Home or Away. Hello, Thoughts from a Page listeners and Top Shelf at Merrick Library listeners. I'm Cindy Burnett, and welcome to our special episode. Let's get things started. Kathleen West, thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this. And a special inside behind the scenes thing is I think this is my first like full length interview about this book. So first for Thoughts from a Page. (laughs) Well, that makes us very happy that we'll be the first ones. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about Home or Away? What made you take on the world of hockey? And was that something you always wanted to write about? Yes. Well, Homer Away is about two world-class athletes, and they are friends in 2002 on the cusp of the Salt Lake City Olympics. And one of them makes the Olympic team and the other one doesn't. And so we see a bunch from that timeline. And then where the main part of the story takes place 20 years later, when both of their children want a shot in youth hockey. So they reunite and the one who didn't make the team, Lee, has to face all the reasons why she didn't in any secrets that she might have kept. And in terms of wanting to take on hockey, I am sort of an accidental hockey mom. I'm from Minneapolis, and hockey is huge in Minnesota. We are the state of hockey. And I taught at two really big hockey dynasty schools, Bloomington and Edina for the inside people. And the kids I taught who are on the varsity hockey team, I was like, ooh, this is not the culture that I want for my children. So I refused to let my older son play hockey until third grade, which if you know anything about hockey means that you've ruined their chances and crushed their dreams. Um, But at the same time, I let that kid start playing hockey. I let my younger also start playing and he's four years younger. And so he has kind of come up in hockey and really excels at it and loves it. And it's a big passion for him. And of course I was wrong about hockey people in general. Like I just knew a couple and, and applied stereotypes to the whole community. It's been a lovely community to be a part of, but it's also totally intense. And I, I am a sports lover, so I had always wanted to write a sports book. I was an athlete myself, and I really enjoy watching and talking sports. So it was kind of just like a perfect idea at a perfect time for me. So full disclosure, I am a huge hockey fan. Oh, good. My husband and I root for rival New York teams. I won't tell you which ones, but I will say we go into separate rooms when they play oh. each other because we're in the same division, and that's why we're still married. And that is a podcast unto itself, but I loved reading your hockey scenes. I was behind the glass watching. I was on the ice watching every pass, every check, every goal. I don't know how you did it. How was it to write those scenes? Because it was so visual and so authentic. What was that like for you? Oh, I'm so happy that you asked me about this because I can highlight all my helpers. <laughs> Even though I've been a hockey mom, so my younger son is 13. He started at age three. So it's been like 10 years of hockey momming at this point. But I, you know, I just learned the basics like a couple of years ago. <laughs> like now I can reliably do offsides, et cetera. But I don't know anything about hockey. So what I would do is write the hockey scene. And then I have a friend, whenever I'm up early and at a rink, I always text her like, I'm at hockey at 6.30 a.m. Thanks to you. You know, she's my like hockey mom mentor. And her son, William, is a senior in high school and an excellent hockey player. So I sent every hockey scene to those two. And they 
laughed at me and made fun of me. And (laughs) William would draw out the rink, like on a piece of paper and like put X's where I said the kids were and like, be like, no, this doesn't, or this wouldn't happen or that person wouldn't pass to this person. And so he edited all of it. He appears in the book as himself. William Matsky is the character in the book on the team. And that is the kid who made me look okay in the hockey scenes. They did a great job. And all the while they're helping you and you're putting this on the page, you're building suspense at the same time. So you had me, you had me. Thank you. Yeah. I, it was fun to decide like if they should win or lose in a certain spot or like who should score, like and thinking about narrative theory and what had to happen in the story to make it work. And then also what I wanted for the kid who was playing hockey was kind of a fun tension as a, as a writer. That's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about that as I was reading when they were going to win, when they were going to lose, how you decided. So that was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think I got it right. They had to lose when they lost and they, they had to win when they won. And I won't give anything away, but the book, like the main climax of the book happens at a big tournament where both winning and losing are involved. I thought you balanced it well. And I'd love to comment on your acknowledgments because you did such a fun job of putting those all into sports talk and sports oh. metaphors and everything. That was a ton of fun. You know, I love writing the acknowledgments and it's kind of like a prize for me. Like when I get to write the first draft of the acknowledgments, usually it means that I've gotten like close enough to the end, you know, and I, I'm a runner, that's my sport. And so I always start like when I'm running, I start thinking of the sentences that I'll be writing in the acknowledgments and you want it to sound sincere, but you know, like you and I don't know, thanks for liking them and reading them. I, I really did feel sort of emotional when I was writing them because I felt like writing a sports book was sort of a culmination of my whole life as an athlete. So I ended up thanking like my own cross country coach from seventh grade in the acknowledgements too. Well, I liked that. It was really fun to read them and see it in that format. Well, in addition to hockey, you address the Me Too movement. What made you decide to include that storyline? Gosh, yeah. So Lee, my main character, she's a young woman when she tries out for the Salt Lake City Olympics. And she is a lot like me, like a very confident person who believes in her own self-efficacy. And she, she thinks she's making her own choices. And then in her time trying out for the team, as readers, I think we can see that she's being manipulated by a coach. But she's unwilling to sort of accept that she has been any type of victim in this situation until she's in her 40s. Like it just she won't go there because I think it would in her mind, it would change her conception of herself as a powerful woman in charge of her own identity. So it's always hard for me to give my characters hard problems to solve or difficult events in their past because I end up liking them so much. <laughs> so it usually takes a few drafts to like get to why they are the way they are. And so this relationship didn't have the same ick factor and the same like predatory factor in the first few drafts of the story. But then it just became clear that there had to be like a bigger stake or she had to have come from a harder situation to be where she is today. And I really feel that, you know, I'm going to be 44 this month and I don't have a single friend that hasn't had either just kind of like a gross situation with a male colleague or a male coach or someone in their lives or a criminal situation. So I think it's still an issue that we need to talk about and empower like the next generation. And I don't know, I just think it's really important. Well, in helping them highlight them and understand that sometimes 
they may feel like they have contributed to it, but a lot of times they're not in a position where they can say no. Yes. And I think that's exactly what happens to Lee in this situation. She yes. feels like if if she's true to herself as an athlete and she's true to herself as someone who's extremely goal-oriented, she's going to do everything she can. And her male coach recognizes this and takes advantage of it. And she's both embarrassed that she was willing to go there, but and also unwilling to admit that she'd been manipulated. That's the interesting part about Lee is that she doesn't, what she doesn't want to admit and what she doesn't want to face, the way you draw that character, the way she is, is just so compelling to me. And I find that so important that you write about Lee because not only is she balancing this horrible situation that occurred when she was younger, but she's trying to be a mom and a wife and a friend. She's trying to have a job and be the breadwinner. I mean, I'm exhausted for her because, right, we all want to pursue a goal. But what about the other priorities in your life? It's just so hard. And you lay that all out. She is dealing with so much. I don't know how you managed to get that all on the page, but it's really, really well done. Thank you. It, that's another thing that takes a long time. I've noticed that in my first drafts or even my early drafts, a lot of people will say like, I don't like this person at all. And I, I find I bristle against that criticism a little bit because I think I write in a point of view that's, you know, you're inside the person's head. And I think we all are a little bit unlikable if you read every single one of our thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but we just don't say it all out loud. And it is true that she's dealing with a lot. And so being nice is not necessarily like top of her priority list on a daily basis. And I think the way you asked me that or the way you noticed that kind of points that out. Well, and she can't be nice every single day. Look no. at what she's carrying on her shoulders, the tremendous burden of pursuing again. I go back to pursuing that goal to try to get what she's looking for and then how she goes about getting it. I, you know, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And I one thing that was really fun about researching this book is that I got to talk to several Olympians. And I mean, this is not going to come as a surprise, but after each interview, it really stuck with me and struck me. They're just highly intense people. Like the ability to be the best in the world at something or like the the drive to do that and the possibility of becoming the best in the world at something requires an intensity, you know, yeah. an intensity that most people don't have. And it's really admirable. But I think sometimes like you might not, it might be a little bit much to be that person's partner or be that person's friend or that person's colleague later, because it being the best in the world requires a, a type of focus that most of us don't have. For sure. Definitely a singular focus on one particular thing, which means a lot of other things are going to be excluded or at least pushed down the list. Yes. This kind of leads into my next question. When you're writing your books, you tend to stay a little bit in the gray with your characters. Everyone is very human, just as you mentioned. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting point and a really interesting idea. I think most people are in the gray and that we all have really excellent qualities about us. And then we all have some not so great qualities about us. And I find multifaceted people to be the most interesting, the ones I want to spend time with, the ones I want to get to know and learn from. And I guess like as a teacher and a mom, I think it's important for kids to know that we all have our ups and downs. We all have the good parts and the bad parts. And in the end, I think that all of my characters do make the right choices and do come out okay. But 
I don't know that it would make a really interesting story to just have a really good person who thinks all good thoughts and then comes to the conclusion. (laughs) I agree with that. But I think sometimes you don't see quite as much of that in fiction. And I think, yes, yours are very human. And we all do have negative thoughts, positive thoughts, make good choices, make bad choices. It's nice to see that in in your stories because it does make you feel better sometimes about your own choices. Well, and they're legitimate, right? You feel like you're buying in because you've either know someone who's like that or you have thought those things. So it, it just makes that relationship between your characters and you, the author, and us, the readers, all that more successful. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, I... I like to like the unlikable people, I guess, you know, like to (laughs) to face someone's worst characteristic and still see the good in them. That's something that I guess I really value as a person. And at the end of a project, I have to say, like, even the worst characters that I write, I usually want the best for them. Not in the case of Jeff. He's the malevolent coach in this book. Like, I don't think he has any real redeeming qualities. So I'm not rooting for him by the end. But all of my main (laughs) characters, I usually want the best for them. Even my annoying hockey manager in this book, I wanted her to be okay at the end. (laughs) Those emails were great. Yeah. I like, you know, I always like to have a little humor in my book and I really value humor as a person. And I think I'm kind of funny myself. And this book, as I was writing it, it was kind of a pivot for me. It's much more serious content. And I was telling my agent, I was like, this book is not funny, but there's just not really anything funny about sexual harassment, which is true. So it didn't make sense to have that storyline be really humorous. But I really valued the opportunity then to kind of find lighter moments in other ways, which I did. The hockey manager of the the youth team in the book um, writes emails to people that appear as their own chapters throughout. And I had a lot of fun taking all the pieces of all the -the over-the-top emails I've ever gotten and putting those into Kathy's. I was just going to ask you if they were based on actual emails you'd received. <laughs> for sure. But I was very careful. I was just on the parent group chat, actually, for my kids' youth hockey team. And I was very careful to say the manager in this book is not our manager. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> yes. Especially because it was also really fun. There are a lot of kids in the book and a lot of teams that we face. And so many of those, like if you know Minnesota youth hockey, you'll recognize those characters and the places. And so there's a lot of real stuff in there. So I didn't want anyone to get confused. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I, you know, just to go back to one of the characters in your book, I'm so glad you have Georgie in the book because women's hockey, I mean, that whole, it's just terrific. I love that you included the Georgie character. Talk about driven. She's on it. She's I loved reading her and just as a private message, like to see more of her, maybe somewhere down the line. That's a great idea. (laughs) But that's just me plugging. But especially with the whole thing that we just watched the Olympics. Yep. We were all glued to the TV while I had my DVR set because I wanted to watch the USA women's final against Canada. And I just love to see that. So when does Georgie as a character pop in for you? Was she always there? Did you always have that in your mind or where did she come from? That's a great question. She came in a a later version of the book because after a few, after the first couple of drafts, my editor wanted me to lean into the female friendship angle of the book. And it took me a long time to get there between Lee and then her former teammate, Susie. Those are the adults, and then their kids are on the same hockey team. And one of the kids is Georgie. And 
So she came in later and she actually was a boy in the beginning, but then she turned into a girl. I was like, this is about female empowerment. You got to have this character be a girl. And then there's a scene at the end where Lee talks to Georgie. Georgie feels responsible for a loss that the team has. And Lee talks to her and it's kind of a moment for Lee where she's like, absolutely not. This is not your deal. Like you are everything good about this sport. And I still kind of feel tears in my eyes when I think about that scene. It came really late and it was a really important scene for Lee because she starts to like understand her history and forgive herself a little bit. And I think she needed to be working on empowering that next generation as she did that. So it was late, but I'm glad you liked it. And I really like it too. Yeah, it lends more authenticity, at least for me as a reader. Just seeing a girl on the ice was so amazing, even at somebody my age. Yeah, <laughs> we were in youth hockey here just last weekend when my son was playing. Um, it's always fun afterwards because you can't necessarily tell at this age when they're on the ice. But then when the teams come into the lobby afterwards, you can see like, oh, they've got a couple girls on their team. It's always fun to see them without their helmets on. For sure. I don't know much about hockey. And so I don't know how it works in terms of girls playing and whether they have a girls team or playing on the boys team. So it's interesting to learn some of that for me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I do hope that, I mean, I think hockey fans will love the book, but I hope that non-hockey fans, like other people, like if you like any sport or even if you're not that into sport, but just interested in, in the idea of competition and being driven, women's ambition, I think there's something to hang on to in the story for those people as well. Absolutely. And you do focus on youth sports and the incredible intensity that exists today for them. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i a pretty intense person. So having youth sports pick up an intensity, um, it makes sense to me. And I can kind of fall into the thinking of it. Like you can fall into the idea like, oh, well, you have to give everything that you can give to do X, Y, and Z and justify. But I think that there there's a limit to the goodness of that. And you can see that in the kid character, Gus is Lee's son in this book. And and he wants it. But I don't think like when you're a little kid, I don't know that you understand what you're signing up for to really want to be the best. And as a mom, I've kind of found it necessary to follow the lead of my kids in terms of how much they want. But then you also have to make decisions for them. Like if, if your child is going to play at the high school level, even They have to have a certain level of excellence at youth sports and a certain level of focus at youth sports. So you don't want them to lose the chance to be on a high school team because they had to go to a summer camp. You know what I mean? So it's a really tough balance and following the kid is important, but I'll admit that I'm a pretty intense sports mom as well. My my older son is going to do cross country and track in college. And so clearly we've been all in for a while here. I just wonder with more and more injuries from some of these kids as they start so young and play so often, I just know like for my son who plays baseball and he's just recently hurt his back and you know, the doctors are like, it's because they play year round and you just wonder long-term how that's going to impact some of these kids. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think like we, we as parents should fight back against this need to specialize. You know, like I think it's a lie that you need to give up every other sport that you do and compete in just one year round. But it can feel like that in certain sports. Like I know, I don't know about all of them, but tennis is one in Minnesota where like if you're not playing tennis year round, you're probably not going to be on your high school team. So yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough balance and a tough, you know, decision to make as individual families. And I think it will take some systemic change to, to really make it okay for kids to, to keep 
engaging in the other sides of their personalities, even as they pursue excellence in a sport? I don't know that there's an easy answer there. Yeah, I don't think there is. But I do think that we're seeing more injuries, more burnout. And so there should be some kind of change, I think, coming. I agree. I agree. Well, I always love to know what people have read and recommended. So Kathleen, what have you read recently that you really liked? Well, I know you like this book too, Cindy, but I recently finished Will Smith's autobiography. It's just called Will. And I'm big on audiobooks. And at the recommendation of one of my hockey experts, actually, from this book, I listened to the audio and I enjoyed it so much because Will Smith just sort of breaks into song periodically. He does imitations of some of the other characters in his book. So he's doing voices a lot. And I just loved hearing that familiar voice kind of tell these. I'm sure calculated revealing stories, but inside stories that I didn't know before about him. And one thing that I really liked about it was it was also quite inspiring. And talk about intensity. He admits to being a highly intense person. And his goal is similar to Lee's goal in my book. Like he says he wants to be the biggest movie star in the world. And everything he does, like every decision, every priority, everything is focused on that one singular goal to the detriment of his other relationships, which he admits in the book. But I found that journey of his, like talking about what it meant to him to do that and why, like what events from his childhood kind of led him to that sort of driven personality to be very fascinating. And then his self-reflection to be pretty inspiring. So I really recommend that book. I thought it was fantastic. And as you said on audio, it was just amazing with the choir in the background and his rapping and everything. It was amazing. And then another book I read recently that I missed when it was originally published but I, I heard of it recently. It's called Agatha of Little Neon. Oh my gosh. I love that book. And I interviewed Claire Lachetti and what an interview. She was amazing. Oh, okay. I'll have to go back and look for that. For a while, I thought I was going to be writing a murder mystery that takes place in a convent. And um, I'm working in a convent school this year. So that was a great idea for me, but it's not actually going to be my next project. But I've been reading a lot of nun books as part of that. And that book just grabbed me. The characters are so, I mean, if we talked about my unlikable characters, this character is just so lovable. And you do get a lot of her interior thinking. I just think that she's probably a better person than a lot of my, (laughs) but also the writing in that book, like certain sentences just sort of stopped me cold and certain descriptions. It's not really like a traditional narrative arc. It was different and wonderful, very beautiful. So And her relationship with the Mother Superior is just... Yes, I love that. And with her sisters, there are four nuns in the book. And yeah, it was a really special book. So those two recently have really struck me. Kathleen, what was the name of the second one again? Agatha of Little Neon. Okay, I've never even heard of that book, but it sounds really good. Yeah, I missed it. You know, there are so many books that come out that you miss. No, it's true. Absolutely. And you wonder how it got past you, you know, when it happened. But yes, I agree. There's too many and the list just grows and grows. I know. I'll mention one more that I really loved recently, which is my friend Stephanie Robles new book, This Might Hurt. Have you read it yet? I haven't, but I love that cover. And I want to ask you about your cover too, because I love your cover. And I know you were excited about it when it came out. But talk about Stephanie's book first. Okay. Well, Stephanie is a master stylist and she just gets voice really, really well. Her first book, Darling Rose Gold, had one of the most interesting voices of any thriller I had read. And this new one is great. It's about sisters. And one sister has sort of joined this cult. You don't think it's a cult at first. It's like a wellness center. 
but she's gone there and she hasn't come back for like six months or longer. I can't even remember how long, but a long time. And then her sister gets an email that says like, are you going to tell your secret or do we have to tell her from the cult people? And so she has to go there to try to like tell her sister the secret and maybe also break her out. It has a dual timeline. It's super compelling. I Stephanie Robo makes me stay up late and nothing makes me stay up late. So that's a good one. Carol Ann, have you read that one? I No, it's on sitting in my TBR pile. Like it's on there, ready to go. But I think I'm going to have to drop everything to, to listen to the Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, you are, you are. Definitely. I do agree with that. But Kathleen, before we wrap up, talk a little bit about your cover because I just love it. And I know you were excited when it was first revealed. And if you could squeeze in how you came up with the with the title of the book, because it's perfect. And I just, the whole package of this book is perfect. Okay. Well, as I've told Cindy before, I'm not very good at titles or covers, but luckily (laughs) the publisher, the art department at Berkeley is fantastic. So the image that you see, the concept of you see is the very first thing that they showed me. It's a house in an ice cube and um, it has like this light blue kind of icy background with yellow font. And it is, as soon as I saw it, I was like, absolutely, yes, wonderful. And we were in the middle of a big rewrite when we got that cover and just seeing that image kind of galvanized me through those final edits. I really like it because it, it gives you the sense that it's about more than hockey. It's a, It shows the house. And we haven't even talked about this, but a big issue in the book is the marriage between Lee and her husband, Charlie, and the secrets between them and the roles they've taken in their relationship and how that kind of impacts the power between them. And I thought the image of the house in the ice cube kind of gave a hint about that aspect of the story. In terms of title, the first title that I had was Overtime. And Lee had been in a different career in the beginning and and working her butt off. She still works her butt off in investment banking, something that I know nothing about. But luckily, my father-in-law is kind of in investment banking. So I asked him a lot of questions. So she's working all the time. And it was kind of about that, plus the play on like sports overtime. But my publisher likes titles that have more than one word and longer titles. And I agree with them. I think a one word title can kind of sound thrillerish and it's not really a thriller. So we went back and forth a lot about like sports metaphors, et cetera. And finally we liked home and away was the first version, which I also really liked because it's about being in the home and being in the relationships in the family. And then also it has like the, the sports aspect to it, but home or away has fewer other books that are called that. And I also think the or gives it a little bit of a different edge. So it worked out perfectly. Especially since at the beginning of the book, she's relocating. So it just made all the sense in the world to me. And someone told me, a friend of mine said that when they leave for their hockey games all the time, that's the question she asks her daughter, like home or away, because it's the color of the jersey that you need, your light or dark jersey. Right. So that will be a a good thing for the hockey moms too. Yeah, kind of a play on words there. Yeah. There's so many ways to interpret that. And I didn't even think of home and away jerseys. But yes, you're right. I had so many things in my head. But yeah, you're right. It's great. But you know, one more comment back on Lee and Charlie's relationship. It was interesting because one thing I thought a couple of times when he was saying, I've done this and I've done that and I do all this stuff at home, I kind of wondered if the roles had been flipped, if that would have been such a focus for him. You know, if you'd been the mom, I mean, we do all that stuff all the time. And I don't sit there and say, well, I did this, I did that. You know what I mean? 
Right. Yes. And I definitely wanted to explore that. That's been a, a point of tension for me inside myself, not with my husband, but inside myself as a married person. It'll be 20 years this summer. So I've been married for a long time and I've never been the largest wage earner in my family. And my husband never makes me feel like my contributions to our life and our home and our anything are less than his. In fact, the opposite. But in my head, sometimes I'm like, well, I better be the one to make this sacrifice because my salary is X number of dollars less than his salary. And I think in some relationships that can be more explicit. Like I have some friends whose partners are like, well, you know, you need to stay home and wait for the plumber because I can't take another day off or our kid has the flu and you better stay home because blah, blah, blah. I think it can be kind of a a tricky situation to land in. And Charlie chooses it and he has a good life. But I think sometimes when you're raising a kid like that, you everyone just kind of gets used to having the one person take care of everything at home. And it's never discussed again about whether you want to maintain that system. And in this case, like he's ready for a little something new now that his kid is getting older. He's kind of wanting to break out of being a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. Watching that role reversal on the page was something. You did a great job with that. Thanks. Absolutely. So- By the time this episode launches, you will be on the promotional train. Where can readers find you for your upcoming events and all this, all the latest and the greatest for Kathleen West? You know, I am so, I feel so strange about being back on the promotional train. My writing career has been so bizarre because my first book came out in February of 2020. That's when I was a debut. And my trip to Houston to Thoughts from a Page, like that was basically the last thing I did before the world completely shut down. So now I've had three books in two years and all during a pandemic. So (laughs) it feels very strange. But yes, I'm at Kathleen West Writes on Instagram. And that's, that's probably the easiest way. If you just Google Kathleen West author, all the right stuff will come up for you. But I am going to a few different locations. So that will be really fun. I'm flying around a little bit. I have an in-person launch in Minneapolis and our school just went mask optional. So I'm hopeful that I can actually meet people in person and talk about this book that I'm so proud of. So that's the best way. That's great. Okay. We'll be following along with all of that. Thank you. Absolutely. And Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today. It was just delightful to talk with you. Well, this is, Cindy, you know, you're one of my very favorite people to talk books with. So it's been a joy. And Carolyn, I'm so happy to, uh, to meet you virtually for the first time. So my pleasure. All my pleasure. I'm so appreciative that you're here. Thank you. And listeners, we thank you so much for joining us. Cindy, what a thrill to once again co-host this episode between our two podcasts. I mean, we really do need to consider this as the name of our venture between two podcasts. I just love that name. We absolutely do. And this was so much fun. Well, this is Carol Ann Tack, host of Top Shelf at Merrick Library, saying thank you all so much for listening. And this is Cindy Burnett, host of Thoughts from a Page, thanking you all as well. Remember to follow both shows, Thoughts from a Page and Top Shelf at Merrick Library on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find most podcasts. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. 
We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.